got to be good enough to entertain them and pull them in, even though they don't want to be there. The 10%, the executives want to be there. They're serious business people. The 90% are just employees. And they just, they just would rather be somewhere else. So you've got to be good enough to suck them in, pull them in with, the, with, uh, you know, with, uh, with your skills uh, so they pay attention. Welcome to 7 to 8, our special series on 7 and 8 figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over seven figures in a year or less will uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to center stage, our next guest speaker. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedlock, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Steve. Steve, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Awesome. So give everybody kind of the 5,000 foot view of who you are and what you love to do. Oh, well, uh, I, my short version of the story is um, I was a professional tennis player back in the 1980s and I retired after a couple of years of playing on the tour and started coaching uh, top, top tennis players, Andre Agassi and several other top players, Jim Currier, number one in the world, and uh, started working with professional athletes and other athletes and Olympic athletes on mental toughness training, which is something I studied uh, in depth in the 1980s. And then I started speaking about it later in the in the mid 90s, started going to corporations and doing corporate turnarounds with low performing sales teams of companies like Johnson and Johnson and GlaxoSmithKline and Microsoft and Procter and Gamble and those kinds of companies. And, uh, and I built my speaking career over 23 years and uh, wrote, tw wrote 12 books in the process. And uh, here we are today. Nice. I love it. So what was it about speaking that made that kind of turn your fans and you went, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. Yeah, I never really liked public speaking at all. I was playing in a little garage band in Florida, working with these great, you know, athletes, making very little money. And uh, and a guy came up to me at the gig, and we were a pretty bad band. But he came up to me and he said, he goes, you know, no offense, but you're never going to make any money singing and playing that guitar in the band. And I said, yeah, no, I I, I get it. It's just a fun thing. He goes, you ought to, but I know what you do in mental toughness. I know the athletes you have, and you work with the Boston Celtics. I know your story. He said, you ought to take that, that, that microphone and start talking to corporations and you'll make real money. And I, it got in my head and I thought about it and I started pursuing it. And that's exactly what happened. Nice. I love Lucky it. Right. right. So would, did you just go, Oh, Hey, that was a very inspirational talk. I think I'm going to go and take up speaking or was awarded <laughs> to the enticement of it. Yeah, it turns out, you know, just jumping into professional speaking is kind of like going to Los Angeles saying, I want to be an actor. I'm here. I was in the high school play. I, I played the tomato in the play at sophomore year. And I was really a good tomato. I mean, I, you know, I got a lot of accolades for the, being the tomato in the play. But uh, now I want to be a professional actor. Hire me. So it's, it's very much like that when you start out as a speaker, unless you're a celebrity, which I was not and am not. And, um, and so I, uh, I fumbled around, lost $50,000 my first year. And then I just got just a dumb luck break. I met a gentleman who said, have you ever heard of this, this guy named Bill Gove? And I said, no, he said, he's the father of professional speaking. He taught everyone you can think of Zig Ziglar, you know, Mark Victor Hansen, Larry Wilson, you know, Augmentino. He just started rattling off names. I said, well, I know all those people. He said, well, he's 85 years old. He has a workshop called the Bill Gove speech workshop. You really should go to that workshop. And, uh, and I did. And it absolutely catapulted my career. Nice. I love it. Very lucky. That's awesome. So what was one of your best experiences or most entertaining, take it whichever direction you see fit, um, when it comes to speaking? It might've been your first million dollar weekend. It could have been anything. Yeah, I was speaking one time in Orlando at the Orlando Convention Center for 20,000 people. And I had, a, and I was, it was a real lucky, 
lucky kind of a speech, right crowd, you know, right message, right time. And I paid off my house in 45 minutes. And I, I just couldn't believe that. I mean, it's just, I, ha I have a pretty good sized mortgage too. And I, and I, and I paid it off. And, and after the speech, we, uh, it was just, I just kind of an unbelievable, you know, thing that you only see in a movie, you know, but it right. happened. So that was kind of my first big thing that happened to me as a speaker. Nice. Were you prepared for it? You knew it was coming or was it just a, Hey, no, I got lucky. I mean, totally. I mean, I, you know, I was prepared for the speech, of course, but I had no idea that, you know, when you speak to 20,000 people, you don't really know who's in the audience because you can only see about a thousand of them if you're lucky with the lights and everything. And, uh, and of course, in Orlando Convention Center, it's just one giant room. They just keep opening up rooms. So it's not like you can see the second story or the mezzanine or anything like that where you can see in a theater. I've worked a lot of those theaters too. But where you see, you know, you got 10,000 people in the audience, but you can see everyone, you know, you can at least see all the whole group. Well, you can't in those giant, you know, flat one-story auditoriums. Um, and so uh, you don't know who's there. And it turned out a lot of important people were there and a lot of people uh, wanted to buy things. And, you know, we just lucky break. Nice. That is awesome. So what is the biggest venue you've ever spoken at? Venue wise, uh, that's a good question. I ever thought maybe Air Canada Center. I know you're Canadian. Uh, Air Canada mm -hmm. Center. Bob Proctor and I spoke in the Air Canada Center together probably 10 times uh, when we were working with Bob Proctor, uh, Bill Gove and myself. And uh, that was one of the bigger you know, auditoriums. But San Jose, we, we worked a lot. We actually were ended, up, we ended up working a lot of big auditoriums for some reason, more in the public market, not in corporate. But uh, so a lot of the big auditoriums, it held 10, 15,000 people, you know, Portland, the Rose Garden in Portland, I think we had 17,000 people there. And so some big, big audiences, definitely. Nice. Was there anything that you noticed was kind of substantially different from speaking to an audience of 10,000 plus versus, you know, 1,000 people? Yeah, it is a little bit different. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, the microphone does the work for you. So, you know, I mean, you're in the, and the cameras are all over. You. I think that that one we did when we did Beyond the Secret, the movie with Bob Proctor, the, the sequel to The Secret, mm -hmm. uh, they had 18 cameras on us at UCLA at Royce Hall and at UCLA, 18 cameras. And so you speak, you're kind of speaking as, meant, as much to the cameras as you are to the audience, because, you know, you can't see that far in the audience because it's a large hall. And um, so you kind of end up working the cameras more than you do the crowd, which is a little <laughs> weird. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're just talking. So it's, it's kind of the same thing. Just more fun sometimes. <laughs> nice. It's those ones where you're staring into the lights that you're talking to the lights and it's like, I'm going to be blind by the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know they're there. You know they're out there. I mean, you hope they don't attack if you say something wrong, but you know they're there. You just can't see anyone. You know, you see a few people, but yeah, the, it, it gets on those big halls. The lights are very, very bright, and, but you know they're there when you work those halls enough and you just sort of, you start, you're looking at the audience as if you can see them, but you really can't. But you know they're there, so you 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 know you position yourself so they see you looking at them, even though you can't see them. <laughs> it's <an> interesting process. It's <laughs> awesome. So I know you work with a ton of people, helping them to get on stage and work on their speaking careers. What what are some of the biggest mistakes that speakers make when they're starting out? Probably the biggest mistake we've seen in uh, you know twenty three years of doing this is, uh, and I made the same exact mistake was they they think they're ready to be paid and they're nowhere near ready to be paid because they were really they, good. They went to, to a meeting, yeah, they spoke at a meeting or something. They were an executive or a doctor, or a lawyer, or a politician. They said people say I'm a really great speaker. I say yeah, you know I can throw a football too, but the Atlanta Falcons have not called me and I live in Atlanta. I'm not that far from the stadium and I can throw a football, but I can't throw it well enough to get paid to throw it. And I think, you know, that's might be obvious, obvious in sports, but it's not so obvious in speaking. 
And so people say, well, I just need marketing. And what they really need are speaking skills at the pro level, which is, you know, pretty rare. Mm -hmm. So what would you say just off the top of your head are some of the key things that people need to work on to get to that pro level? Well, you need to learn how to entertain a live audience, uh, entertain an audience that may not want to be there. I mean, for 23 years, I did most of my work in corporate turnarounds, low, you know, turning around corporate sales teams that were low performing that needed to go up by, you know, $100 million, $150 million in 12 to 18 months. And we go in with a turnaround team from the company and uh, try to turn them around. So you're trying to, you know, they don't want to be there. I mean, they're angry. It's a hostile crowd, literally. Um, it's well, almost they like they don't want to be told that they suck. Yeah, they don't really go for that, huh, Michelle. Yeah, it doesn't really. I, standing ovations are not my thing. I'm not known for that. I'm known for security in the back of the hall, you know, because I'm getting attacked by salespeople. But, you know, we're actually on their side. But at the same time, you've got to keep their attention and entertain them in some way or another. Um, uh, even if they don't want to be there, even if they're being paid to be there, which, you know, every speaker works Vegas, you know, it's one of the, in the States. I mean, that's kind of our big, you know, national convention uh, city. And, uh, you know, you got 90% of the people there that are being paid to be there. They'd rather be in the casino than listening to you, but you, they've got to be there because they're getting paid. So you've got to be, able, you've got to be good enough to entertain them and pull them in, even though they don't want to be there. The 10%, the executives want to be there. They're serious business people. The 90% are just employees and they just, they just would rather be somewhere else. So you've got to be good enough to suck them in, pull them in with the with uh, you know with uh, with your skills, uh, so they pay attention. And if you can't do that, you can't really be a national convention speaker. Fair enough. So, what is an example of one of your kind of favorite stories that you love to tell about speaking? Oh, so there's so many. You know, you go you go on the road. I mean, you know, I went all over the travel all the world for 23 years speaking, and before COVID hit, and. Uh, and so just the, the story is mostly of the speakers, you know, like working with guys for years like Bob Proctor and, uh, you know, Les Brown. And, you know, you, just, you work with these guys, Zig Ziglar and these guys that, you know, you listen to uh, maybe if you were into that stuff like I was, uh, you know, as a as a non-speaker. And then all of a sudden you're backstage with these guys, you're traveling and you're working with them. And just the just the funny stories. I mean, some of the stories that, you know, I had being on the road with uh, Bill Gove and Bob Proctor for three years was just uh you know, just, just fantastic. So it's a, it's a, it's a real privilege to be in this business. It really is. Nice. We, we used to do some work with Bob and, um, and oh my God, his name just popped out of my head. And they were talking about once upon a time, they had worked in Edmonton with another previous awesome speaker and whose name also just popped out of my head. I'm loving this. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate you right now. But the stories you were telling were hilarious because this other speaker was very, um, enthusiastic and very charismatic and very much into kind of doing what he did. So he, they were at a restaurant, they ordered breakfast, whatever it was. And he goes, you call these eggs. These aren't eggs. Excuse me. Do you mind if I take over your kitchen as he's already in the kitchen? He starts pulling stuff out of the fridge, starts <laughs> some stuff. And he's teaching the staff how to, how to cook his breakfast. And he goes, these are eggs. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's wearing, he's still wearing his house coat, looking a little Hugh Hefner-ish and <laughs> <laughs> very flamboyant kind of guy I, I will put his name in the show notes because he was awesome okay um, yeah, but crazy stuff. you know that just the yeah the crazy stuff that you do when you just you're backstage and kind of off the off the stage but at the same time your actual personality gets to shine through and it's a lot of fun well we had one with bob proctor that that's that's the best this is my best speaking story ever i told that bob proctor's 80 we had an 80 we threw a birthday party for him his 80th birthday at the bellagio in vegas uh about eight or nine years ago, I guess it was eight years ago, whatever it was. 
And uh, of course, we just lost Bob, as you probably know recently. But um, but he, uh, I told a story. It's a, it's a great story. So I'll give you the short version of it, since I know we're we're short on time. But uh, so we were speaking in Kansas City, 1998, July 17, 1998, and I remember because it was a big day for me. Seven thousand salespeople, international sales group, and international convention. Bob was the the keynoter on Saturday morning, and Bill Gove and I, my business partner, were keynoting on on Friday night. So nine o'clock to ten o'clock, terrible time. But but uh, Bob helped us get the gig. And so Bill and I spoke, and then we had a, we had back then we had video cassettes we were selling on speaking because Bill was the father of professional speaking. He taught all, he taught Bob Proctor was a student for you know forty years, so everybody was Bill Gove's student. So we had an album we just did, which is what you know way we made back money back in the nineties. Um, you know it's different now, but we had video albums that were selling for two hundred bucks. So we had a booth upstairs of uh, the next level above the floor, uh, the 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 um, auditorium floor. With our with our album for two hundred dollars, Bob Proctor's booth was right next to it. He was selling his for two hundred bucks or three hundred bucks, whatever it was. And so we speak, and the crowd goes crazy. It was a really great speech. I love Bill Gove, of course, as I always did. And then uh, we go upstairs. There's six hundred people in line, Michelle, to buy our product. And we had just started our company, and we needed the cash, frankly, you know. And uh, they closed the gate. They locked the gate. They so no one could get in. So we had no sales whatsoever after our speech, and six hundred people were ready to buy our product. So I called Bob um, at his room and because we were standing at the at the Mulebach Hotel in downtown Kansas City, a famous hotel down there. And I said, I told him a story. And Bob said, okay, I speak at nine o'clock. Get me an album. Bring me an album in my room and I'll, and I'll figure something out. So Bob goes on at nine o'clock in the morning. I'm in the nosebleed with my wife and my parents uh, who had come to see us. And uh, Bob says, you know what? He takes the album. He goes, you know what happened last night? They locked the, they locked the, the gate and no one could buy Stephen Bill's album. And he said, he says, I'll tell you what. He says, here's what I want you to do. Our, our our, it was the Life Success was this company back then. Life Success booth is right next to the Gove Seabull booth. That was our name of our company. And he said, if you have $200 that you brought with you, he said, that's all you can spend. I want you to pass our booth up and buy the Gove Seabull product because it's that good. That's how good these guys are. I'm telling you to buy their product instead of mine. And um, he goes, and I want you to do it. He says, and furthermore, this is the best, my favorite part. He said, if I see you on the streets of Kansas City, walking down the street, and you don't have this album underneath your arm by Gobe Seabold, just walk the other way. Don't even talk to me because you're not even trying to get better. He said, that's how important it is to get this album. And we just sold everything we could ever. He just, it cost him a couple hundred thousand dollars to do that. And his business partner went absolutely berserk, which I don't blame him <laughs> one bit. And uh, and that was Bob. I, I taught, One of the last times I talked to Bob before he passed away it was maybe three weeks before he passed away. And we were talking about that story. He said, you know, that was the best day I ever had in 50 years as a speaker. He goes, that was so fun to pay Bill Gove back because I never would be, you know, got, I've gotten where I got, you know, I've gotten uh, without Bill Gove. Mm -hmm. He said, that was the greatest day of my, my speaking career was that night in Kansas City with you guys. So, well, who would do that for someone as a speaker? I've never seen it before since. I've never heard of anyone doing that. So he was that a very generous man. Awesome. That is awesome. By the way, the names I was thinking of was John Canary and Bob Proctor, where we were in the training room talking and oh, yeah. was telling us stories about Leland Val Vanderwall. Oh, sure. I remember John Canary. Absolutely. Yeah. Good speaker. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So Steve, you've been absolutely fabulous. I know people are going to want to start their journey with you. How do they get in touch with you? Are you still touchable? Sure. Yeah. If the people want our website for our, our speech where we run the Bill Gove speech workshop now here at our facility in Atlanta, and they can go to speechworkshop.com. If they want to follow me, they can go to, they can Google me. I'm, you know, a lot of stuff out there um, or they can go to publicspeakersblog.com and uh, check us out. 
Nice. I love it. Because peeps are going to want to do this. So I have to ask you, at what point in life did you know that you were special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Exactly. Yeah, you, you framed it up perfectly. You, know, you got to be crazy to be an entrepreneur. I agree. You know, I just don't think some people are just meant to have jobs, Michelle. I think I'm one of those crazy people. You know, I just I guess I had a job as a kid and I got I got scolded one time for probably doing I probably deserved it. You know, for some reason, I didn't do something right. I forgot what it was. And I was about 12. And I thought, I really don't you know, I didn't really like the way that made me feel. And I remember seeing Entrepreneur Magazine in a store when I was a kid, and I thought, I kind of knew what it was, not totally the, the, what the word meant, but not totally. I thought, that's what I want to do, because then I can, no one's going to scold me. I can do what I want to do, and, you know, whatever I want to do, I can do it. And, uh, that, and that was it for me, and that, that, there was no other, I've never had a job in my life, and uh, I'm not sure if that's good or not, but, <laughs> but I think my wife's still waiting for me to get a job, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm kind of, you know, all of us as entrepreneurs, I think we're unemployable at this point. <laughs> Exactly. Did you, did you actually avoid getting scolded? You no, know, I got scolded. But uh, but after that, yeah, you know, now the, the, after that, then, uh, you know, you, you're kind of on your own. And then the clients scold you when they want to. But uh, that's okay. That seems to be a little bit better. Pays a lot better. <laughs> there you go. The risk reward is all there. Exactly. Awesome. Steve, you've been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I know how valuable it is. Any last words for our peeps? Oh, no, you know, just, uh, I guess I, if people are looking at becoming speakers, I would just say go for it. You know, it's a lot of fun. It's not the easiest profession to get into unless you're a celebrity. You know, most of us are not celebrities, so just in our own minds, of course we are, but outside of that. But, uh, you know, if, you, if it's something you're trying to do or go to the next level, you know, know that you can do it. There are people out there that, that'll help. It's a pretty generous uh, you know, group of people in this profession, because we all know how hard it is to get started and to move forward with it and build your business and with all the changes, of course. So, but if you think you can do it, if you, if you really, really want to do it, you should go for it. Cause it's a lot of fun. Nice. And I know that you guys help from everything, from the skills you need to the confidence, to the personality, to the, like you guys have the whole package, which is awesome for people to be able to delve into. Yeah, it's, it's good to have guidance. I mean, without, you know, like Bob Pratt used to say about Bill Gove and all the speakers, Zig Ziglar, all of them, you know, without that kind of guidance where people are giving you a straight shot, they're telling you the real information and they're teaching you exactly step-by-step, step, it's still no guarantee you're going to make it, but you've got a real good shot as opposed to just sort of going out there and trying to piece it together yourself. It's not that kind of a business, not my experience. <laughs> it's too difficult. You know, it's too difficult to pull it off, but you get people that, that can help you do it, that know what they're doing. And uh, you got a really legit, a real, you know, legitimate shot at making it. Nice. I love it. Steve, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Michelle. Appreciate it. Peeps, thank you for being here today. I love and appreciate having you and want to help you get up to seven to eight. Thank you for listening to seven to eight. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.